0: In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I go over the Sixers loss in Utah, which caps off a 1-3 road trip, then dive into the reader mailbag, talking about everything from concern over the growing three-point disparity, whether or not Isaiah Joe should take Furkan Korkmaz's spot in the rotation, shake Milton's reluctance to shoot from the perimeter, and whether or not this year feels substantially different than last year. As always, head on over to the athletic.com slash Sixers Beat, where you can get a fifty percent discount on a yearly subscription to the athletic, and you can read our written work. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, part of the Athletics Podcast Network. You know, I feel like it's been at least forty-eight hours since I've talked to you, Rich. How you doing?
1: I'm okay, man. I guess
0: I have to ask that question in the case something bad happened in the last 48 hours.
1: No, I mean, had some decent weather today in Philadelphia yeah. before it's going to snow again, yeah. you know. It was that certainly made my mood a little better. It sounded yeah.
0: all day it sounded like it was raining outside because of the snow melting. When you have 20 inches or so of snow that we got here the previous week and it turns into a 45 to 50 degree day, uh stuff melts quickly.
1: What was the thing from the the Wire where like Stringer Bell is like they're they're barbecuing out there on the fifty degree days or whatever? Anyway, that's what that's what it felt like to me. Like basically, um,
0: oh, I I'll I'll grill any day. Uh, I'm a I'm a winter griller for sure, for sure. Yep. Uh, in part because I can't really cook, so it's one way I know how, so I do it. But yeah. All right. So the Sixers off track, and we haven't even started. Sixers lost their third game in a row. This one a 134 to 123 loss to the Utah Jazz, the NBA leading Utah Jazz. Uh, there are some overarching trends to to what's going on, and I'm sure we'll get into that. And then there is what actually happened in last night's game. So we'll start this, this, this podcast off on last night's game, and then we will transition a little bit to a mailbag podcast in the second half. So I guess let's just back up. Focusing only in on this game, not on trends, not on three in a row, not on anything else that is going on. What were your overall impressions of that loss to the Jazz? We've done
1: a couple pods this season after terrible performances. When they've gotten their shit kicked in by Cleveland, I remember we did one. Maybe Detroit, we did one. This was a much more acceptable loss than games like that. And I think the main reason it was an acceptable loss is that You know, if you're looking to point at something positive, it wasn't tough to find. Ben Simmons, was that the best game of his career? I don't know. I mean, that Lakers game last year was pretty cool. The uh, game three in Brooklyn a couple of seasons ago was pretty cool.
0: 42 points.
1: And uh, what was he? One rebound or assist? One rebound.
0: 12 assists, nine rebounds. Yeah. Yeah.
1: and whatever you know he's always going to have the the rebounds and the uh the assists but 42 points and he was aggressive from the outset this is great to see and that's uh you know you said don't get into the trends but that amazing game is the culmination of i don't know 3 weeks of
0: much better very play. good play yep. by Ben
1: and m- much better than what we were getting on him earlier in the season 4 uh, so yeah, that that's the main takeaway, and there are uh, there are like real issues that this team has, <laughs> and and we'll get into those probably for the mailbag. But if Ben Simmons is playing at a high level, you know he doesn't have to play at the forty-two point crazy level. But but if this is what he normally will play like now, that's a bigger deal than going one and three on a West Coast road swing.
0: Sure. And I think maybe you know, the one stat that you didn't cite, which might be the most important of them all, is a 12 for 13 from the line. He's 13, approaching 70% territory on the season.
1: 13 free throws. Yeah.
0: Um, and well, I mean, he's making them too. You mentioned, like, was that the best game? I'd probably say probably not, if only for one reason, is that his defensive impact wasn't as strong as it normally is. Part of that wasn't really his fault. Part of that was being playing center. You know, he was defending a lot of Rudy Gobert and Derek favors. And he's just not going to make the same kind of impact as he would, if you could have put him on Donovan Mitchell. And that's sort of the trade-off of the Ben at five small ball lineups, which they started, or they went with at the beginning by starting Mike Scott in place of Joel Embiid. You know, I think there was some discussion online of whether or not, you know, when Ben's or Joel Embiid sits should Ben at the five be sort of like your default package you go to. And look on the one hand, Ben's not a, a rim protector at all. We saw this in college. We saw this during his various years when they tried this in the NBA, the scheme that you'd then go to. Is so, okay, well let's switch everything. So you're less reliant on a rim protector. Well, the Sixers have like one other person who can really switch and defend three positions and he can't dribble or shoot. So it gets a little bit limiting real quickly, but, but,
1: but Batiste and Ben, if, if they run a two man action with them, yeah, they can switch.
0: They're good. They're good. Um, And look, I'd I'd love, like, that really intrigues me. That sort of style of play, that switch everything defense intrigues me. It's just real hard to have that personnel while also then having the skill sets that would fit around Joel Embiid offensively. There's just not, like, there are not that many six, seven guys who can shoot and defend three positions. There's just not, there's not. Uh, And certainly there aren't that many on this team. So it would be tough to run, I think you know, 10 to 15 minutes of Ben Simmons at the five every night. And I think we ran into some of those defensive issues against the Jazz, but offensively, yeah, that certainly unlocks him in ways. You know, you go back to that first quarter against the Jazz, and he had, what, I think 19 points on seven shots. Most points scored in the first quarter since uh, his former and sometimes sort of current boss Elton Brand um, back, I think, what, about a decade ago. Wow, that's a stat. Yeah, they they showed that on the, the, the bro- I, ca- I caught it on the rewatch. Uh, and I think the most the last last person who had like 19 points and like five assists was Allen Iverson a real long time ago. But you know, I think I think what impressed me is he got it in so many different ways. You know, he got points in transition. He got points in early offense before the defense was set. He got points as a screen setter and a roll man in two man games with Tobias Harris. He just took people off the dribble in isolation, and it was real nice to see. And the spacing on that does help. Uh, You know, you've got Danny Green and Seth Curry and Tobias Harris and Mike Scott, who all three theoretically should pull the defense out a little bit. Uh, and all three of those or all four of those shot reasonably well. All four, let's put it this way, all four of them made a three-pointer during that game. It was a bench that had more of the issues in that regard. But, um, you know, it's it's just the, the lane's different when the big guy's not there. And that's not better. It might be better for Ben but it's not better for the team but i thought they did a pretty good job of taking advantage of that and all credit goes to ben i mean he was fantastic in that game start the bottom he was he was real good real good
1: he benefited from the scheme a little bit too utah more than most teams they play the last season sixer style yep. of defense yep. yep the the militant three point take away the three funnel them to the big guy and with that, Ben at the five lineup, I mean, I think Mike Scott started the game guarding Gobert, but that doesn't work. No. Uh he doesn't provide any sort of rim protection. So, like you said, yeah, it ends up being uh being Ben and you can't use him on the perimeter in the way that you normally would with Embiid. So it you know, it, it does go to show like as good as Ben played offensively, the, the trade off of not having Joe defensively was Killer, he was uh he was awesome. I mean, and they played that lineup Utah did where or the Sixers did where Utah had to put Gobert on on Simmons, and of course Simmons gets everybody in Utah riled up by saying he felt disrespected that Embiid Garden. By the way, Utah, shut up. I mean, <laughs> he just meant that they put a center on him that is primarily an around the basket player. That's right. what he meant with feeling disrespected. Did he say Rudy Gobert sucks at defense? Did he say take away his defensive player of the year awards? I mean, my god, Utah. Do does he have to say after every press conference, "Oh my god, Rudy Gobert, that's the most versatile defensive player I've ever seen." He just meant he had a footed uh, foot speed advantage on him. <laughs> and that's not to say that it was a bad strategy from Quinn Snyder. Like, you should you're you're almost Disrespecting Ben by saying, Yeah, we don't care because you can't shoot a jump shot, and we don't think you'll be able to manufacture enough points against Gobert. And like you said, got out in transition. I, I thought th- there was a possession in the fourth quarter, and this wasn't even when Ben was at the five. Dwight was in the game. But, you know, he he had already did enough damage in transition, beating uh beating Utah down the floor. There was a possession in the fourth quarter. He was barking at Isaiah Joe, give me the ball so I can run it right down their throats. And that was awesome. Like that is the embodiment of the smoke through the nose emoji that he (laughs) loves tweeting out. And that was the, uh, the type of performance you would see also back on the, uh, the Utah shut up thing. I saw, you know, some people tweeting out, Oh, uh, you know, he only shot three of seven when Gobert was guarding him. And, uh, Three or four from the line, that's what the individual matchup data says, which is uh, is ironic considering that is something that is used to prop up Ben a lot of times when uh, when he's not playing well. Guess what? Rudy Gobert did not do a good job defensively last night. I'm sorry, Utah. You have the best team in the league right now, but shut up. <laughs> I don't know. I was, I was mad about them. Just, just enjoy your awesome team that, that shoots a billion threes, and, and Rudy Gobert's very good. That's all. And, uh, like I, I did see on. some
0: people, Sixers fans specifically, questioning Rudy Gobert. Look at who is on that team right now: Joe Ingles, Donovan Mitchell, Bogdanovich, and they're like the number two ranked defense. Like he is a phenomenal defender. You don't you can credit what Ben Simmons did, and still give credit to Rudy Gobert, who just he he didn't defend Ben successfully. If anything, it gives Ben more credit because he took it to a really good defender, a generational defender.
1: And especially when he's not shooting threes, which is the easy way right. to combat right. Gobert, you know, playing a few feet off of him. But you know, he manufactured his points the way he has to if he's not going to shoot threes. He played two man with Tobias and Seth, whether that's dribble handoff or pick and roll, rolling to the rim. He got out in transition, and then he, uh, you know, when when Dwight was in the game, he was able to back down Bogdanovich and hit a bunch of those those hook shots and leaners that. Might not go in all the time. They certainly didn't go in at the end against Royce O'Neal. But, uh, yeah, great performance by uh, by Ben. It's too bad it happened against the uh, the best team in the league when you don't have your best defensive
0: yeah. player. So. And Utah, I mean, look, what they're stringing out of those players, I mean, how many of those players, perimeter players specifically, are having, like, career years for Utah right now? Uh, they are playing much better than I would have expected offensively and they are a tough team to guard. And that's especially true when the Sixers don't have Embiid, and the Sixers, I mean, they did not guard them well. It's not entirely stunning. They didn't Um,
1: guard anybody on this trip. No,
0: they didn't. They didn't. Um, it's It's a legit, there are two real legit concerns that come out of this trip. One of them is the defensive letdown, and then the other one we will get to pretty shortly once we get to the mailbag. So if we don't focus too much on the fact that uh the Jazz made 18-3s and the Sixers made 8. It's because that is coming up in a couple minutes.
1: Quick quick question. So, you know, with Simmons giving the Sixers a relative moral victory, I would say though, because despite all of those concerns, like if if Ben is going to play, well, and he played well the entire trip offensively. Um th- that's a legitimate positive. You said that they're not going to uh be able to switch probably with him. That's what the evidence has been. What do they do with these backup units the, the, Did he give you more confidence that okay when it comes time, they will stagger and they'll find some sort of stretch five because that to me seems like the only option
0: yeah i think I think Daryl has to target a stretch five and and then do you think, I think that the is the, do you think becomes, it's
1: the, go ahead. yeah, I think it's a big deal. Do you think that's the number one trade target?
0: I mean, unless you can upgrade, get an upgrade of the starting lineup, then yes.
2: Yeah.
0: And then I think things start making sense. You put Shake with that unit. Uh, Shake can be sort of like a secondary ball handler, not so much as relied upon him to create offense off the bounce. Uh, you have a more natural pairing with Ben Simmons to take advantage of his skill sets. Yeah, I think unless you can target a, a real difference maker, which is probably a perimeter scorer to upgrade that starting lineup, I think this is probably the uh, most realistic top target. Yeah.
2: As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TA BASKETBALL and you'll get a 1-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABasketball. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, in Nevada, in New York. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TA Basketball, and you'll get a one-year subscription to the Athletic plus up to a one thousand dollars first bet offer on your first wager.
1: What did you make of? I, and I agree with you. What did you think of Ben after the game? I thought that was pretty interesting. The stuff he was saying about his mental, as yeah. he put it, that yeah. was like pretty honest
0: stuff. Yeah. And, and look, it's really easy to talk about that after you've had a probably your best offensive game of your career. But to his credit, and like you pointed out, he's been more aggressive pretty frequently here over the last 10 or so games. So maybe something has clicked. Uh, I, like I always say, though, I want to see how they react when they start struggling. Does that aggression leave him? Uh, does, the, you know, th- ramping up his his mental approach to the game take a step back? But yeah, right now he's he's consistently pretty good it's real good to see it, i mean it, it's like there's just so much of ben's game where yeah we get the shooting limitations but like take your physical size and impose your will and get to the lane and drive and like there's so few people that can match you at the rim just use that and he's been doing that way more
1: using his versatile contributions as a crutch to excuse yes. any sort of offensive progress is annoying yes and and that happens far too much. It was and good to see. In
0: that, in that he sort of like admits like, yeah, I need to be this more often, which is good. That's what we all want to hear. But I want to hear like when you come out and you have a seven point, ten assist, eight rebound game, like don't be like, you know, I did all these other things. Like you're admitting right now that you can you be give better. more and you need more. Um, so keep it up. Yeah.
1: The uh Yeah, but I, I do think like if he does play at this level and You know, obviously he's not going to score forty-two points a game all the time. He's not gonna score forty-two points per game, especially when Joe is in there. Yeah. For a bunch of reasons, because Joe's gonna get the ball more, because he's the MVP or maybe the MVP of the league so far. And also that he's another post player and their games do overlap a bit. But I I do think if he is playing with the level of aggression that we saw on this road trip. That is a game changer for the bench minutes. You need to find him an acceptable group of players to play with in the bench minutes. That MB'd. Which is
0: not Matisse Theibel and Dwight Howard.
1: No. It, yeah. it, it might be, Matisse Theibel might be an okay guy to play, but the other three guys have to shoot it. Then. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as you wrote about today. But yeah, like Dwight Howard cannot play with him. But if, if he is given the space and an acceptable center that that space the floor and they're not a disaster defensively if he plays like that that's a big difference because like what he showed on this trip is if he is given space he can take his game to another level does this mean he's going to be the closer no no i don't think so but but it's it's a more impactful version of of this this ben simmons so that would be uh that would be a, a major positive takeaway from the trip
0: in the six games prior to that game. So let's throw this one out. Say it was an aberration. Even in these six games prior, he was averaging 18 points, eight rebounds, 7.7 assists, and getting the free throw line five times per day If you or per night. If you add in the Utah game, he is up to 21.3 points over his last seven games, looking a little bit more like the January and February 2020 Ben Simmons that we saw last year that we were sort of hoping would be the one that would come out this year. Uh, And he got off that slow start playing much better now though, for sure. For sure. Uh, And I mean, Tobias got to mention Tobias here. 36 points, (laughs) 10 rebounds, 14 of 24, three from five from three point range. Just an overall good Tobias game. A a very good Tobias game.
1: Tough one for Tobias. Number one, because Ben was also so good. Number two, they lost. And number three, it was a West coast game that, that his 36 point effort on efficient shooting really kind of went under the radar. Yeah. He mostly got asked about Ben after the game and not that Tobias really cares about that, but, uh, yeah, he was, he was very good. And Ben did an excellent job of, uh, involving Tobias in actions to put pressure on Gobert. Yeah. sagging and, away. I mean, and t- Tobias, and look, you need the score to, to come through on those spots. And Tobias did.
0: Yeah. And Tobias had hit a little bit of a funk there in his last five or so games, not scoring nearly as much, not, launching very many threes uh, and not connecting when he did. So for him to come out and and put up that number and, you know, just take, take the shots, which was great to see. Uh, he played, he played much better and he looked very comfortable. Like there are a lot of people who I think benefit from sort of that extra space, uh, Simmons, uh, obviously, and also Tobias too, as well. Overall good offensive performance, despite the fact that they barely shot any three pointers which I guess we can transition to... Let's go to that right now, with, head to the mailbag, because the first question there was from Rob. Is there any concern regarding the Sixers giving up more three-pointers than they make? What do you think, you can
1: go. You can go ahead on this one. You wrote about it today.
0: Yeah, there's concern. And, I, I mean, it, it, it's, the stats are actually starting to get pretty mind-boggling right now. Uh, where are they here? So they rank... 28th in three-point attempts, 27th in three-point attempt rate. The Their opponents make, on average, uh, two and a half more three-pointers per game. If you look at that over the last two or so weeks, it's probably more like four three-pointers per game difference. They are very regularly getting outshot from the three-point line. If you look at it in terms of pull-up shots, they rank dead last in the NBA in pull-up three-pointers taken. They rank third in the NBA in the most pull-up two-point jump shots taken.
1: That one is the most bothersome to
0: me. Yes, because that that's typically I mean, some of those will be those Embiid sort of like one dribble hang pull-up jumpers. Not many of them. A lot of those are from your Seth Curry, from your Tobias Harris. From They, they ran last night a dribble handoff with Ben and Furcon, 17 oh. feet from the basket. And I legitimately screamed. Like there is no, and I think it was out of a timeout too. Why are you running a DHO 17 feet from the basket?
1: Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll get the the corkster in a minute. I mean, he's playing terrible. But the pull-up <laughs> jumpers, if you are third most in pull-up twos, I'm sorry. The people who are good. not in beat take
0: a step yes. back. And look, Seth Curry is, he's a very reliable, like 48 to 50% long two-point jumper. And I'm going to say some long two-point stats, I'm sure, throughout this. These are coming from cleaning the glass. Uh, they are defined as long 2 uh, 14 feet to the three-point line. That's considered a long two in those statistics. Seth Curry is almost year-to-year pencilman. He will make 48 to 50 percent of those. On some of those Curry shots, I will just sort of look the other way. But on some of those, like you're you're a 40 percent free three-point shooter. Like please, please. And Curry specifically, like they ran another DHO with Simmons and Curry, where they ran it a little too close. I think to Tobias, who was in the corner. And it was really easy to help off Tobias and run Curry off of that three-point line. And Curry is very willing to run. Like, J.J. Reddick was incredible at being able to shoot while drifting to his side and not having to take a step in to get an angle. And he was just comfortable shooting on... Who- Seth Seth is not. Like, Seth, If you can bother him and run him off that line pretty easily. And also, it just seems like Doc is... He doesn't seem like he sweats those details too much. He doesn't like if Seth takes a 20-footer off the dribble, he seems like he is okay with that. And uh, whereas like Mike D'Antoni, you would get benched for that last year. So it will be interesting to see whether or not you could correct any of these and look. There's always going to be a point where like this is Joel Embiid's Sixers, not James Harden's Sixers. And I think one of my mo- the most amazing stats I found while doing that piece that you're talking about, the Sixers have already taken more long two-pointers than the Rockets did not only last year in a 72-game season, but two years ago in an 82-game season. Going back to it, though, like, James Harden and Joel Embiid are different. Joel Embiid's shooting like 61% on long twos. That sets up his face-up game, his driving game. He gets to the free-throw line off of those sets. He can pass out of those a little easier than with his back to the basket. You don't want to take that away. But, 73% of the Sixers' long twos are coming from players not named Joel Embiid and do I think that they're ever going to like completely change that shot distribution no in part because of who they have on the roster like Seth Curry is always going to be run off that three-point line he's never going to have the quickest trigger or be able to shoot under duress like JJ that's fine he makes a really high percentage of them he's good and everything else Tobias Harris high volume off the dribble long two shooter Tyrese Maxey it's pretty much his bread and butter right now doesn't have three-point range Um, Furkan Korkmaz will take them. There's just, and then they have so many non-offensive options. It's hard to really like generate three pointers at volume. But look, and I think a lot of people. I've heard a lot of people say this. Like, does it matter when they're 18 and nine at that point, or 18 and 10 now? Yes. Yes. Their (laughs) offense is not, and uh, we're saying this after they just got destroyed defensively. Their offense is not good enough. If you go back to Doc Rivers before his season, he said. I want a top 10 offense. I want a top 10 defense. We've got a top 10 defense. I think they're, what, somewhere in the fifth range. Your offense is not good enough. And not only is it not good enough, but it's not good enough while you play an easy portion of your schedule in the regular season with your, 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 your centerpiece, with Embiid, playing at an MVP caliber offensively. And it's still not good enough. And I worry when you get in the playoffs, it's really not going to be not good enough. And I think if you look at this personnel right now, And you say, okay, well, how does this personnel win an NBA championship? And Joel Embiid taking the step to being an MVP looks like he's he's doing that. Great. But, like, what does a team look like? It would be, like, an eighth-ranked offense and, like, legitimately the top-ranked defense in the league. If not one, then top three. You need to play sort of these games at the margins to get that offense up to even, not not the best in the league, but even to a top-ten level. And right now, they're sort of, like, ignoring those margins at a way that I really didn't expect. Like, I did not expect to be talking about a Daryl Morey team losing the math battle as frequently as they do. And again, I think some people would be like, okay, but they're getting the free throw line, top team in the league getting in free throw rate. That's great. We're not talking about, like, taking away Embiid's face-ups. We're talking about taking away some of these long twos that never get fouled and replacing them with more efficient shots. And I do think they need to find ways, whether that's changing the plays that they're running. And I do think you can make a little bit of an impact with Doc Rivers and, and some of maybe focusing on that a little bit more and diagramming your sets to get those. But I think you're also going to need some personnel changes too.
1: And I think you're going to have to stagger Ben and Joe. Yeah. Because at least when Ben has space, you would figure that you'll break even with the the three point shooting. Like the, the lineups with Horford shot a lot of threes last season. And that's, that's Ben's game play fast, get into the paint, kick it out to, uh, Two three point shooters. It's, uh, yeah, the process is pretty bad right now offensively. It's, it's concerning. And, you know, as you wrote about today on, uh, theathletic.com slash Sixers beat, 50% off. When the Sixers are shooting an unsustainably high percentage from long two, and they do, they do have good long two shooters. And Beat is a, I mean, he's an insane long two shooter right now. Harris is shooting what in the high 40s, like you said, Curry is shooting in the high 40s. You, you're having all of those things though, and you're still the 15th, 14th ranked offense. Well, and, and
0: not only that, but like, and like, so, okay, so maybe you have a lot of really good long two shooters in Curry and Embiid. Right now, they're making 48% of their long twos. No team there might be one or two other teams this year that have done it, but no team that has finished a full season making that many long twos in the entire cleaning glass database, which goes back to like 2002. No, like legitimately no team average on long twos is very consistently and this. I was pretty stunned. This hasn't really changed over that 17 year span. Average is very consistently 38 to 40%. They're not going to keep making, they could, and B could be the reincarnation of Dirk Nowitzki and Patrick Ewing and Seth Curry can be Steph Curry, they're not making 48% of their long twos. There is some regression coming in this offense.
1: They're actually up to 13th in offense, but I think this road trip was bad process and they made a lot of shots. And you know their defense got lit up on this road trip. They're actually down to 10th in defense, and that is a legitimate problem, but... You know, whatever it is, if it's coaching changes, and I I agree with you, like I, I'm a little concerned that Doc is not—I
0: don't want to say paying attention to this, but that he just doesn't care yeah. quite as much. I think he wants people to get into the spots that they're comfortable, and he believes that will work out over. Th- I mean, we had uh, Jovan on in the off season or when he was hired, and he, you know, he wasn't as embracing of analytics as some coaches are not that he's like completely anti but do I think he's sitting there like obsessing over the shot chart? No, I don't.
1: And the clips have shot more threes this season, I believe, with largely the same roster. So that's a concern, but whatever it is, whatever it is, if it's changing the rotation, bringing in new personnel, I just I look up at the scoreboard when I'm at the games. I look at my ESPN.com box score when I'm sitting at home and You just see, like midway through the second quarter, early in the third quarter, it's like, man, they're they're minus eighteen from the three point line already, and that's happening every night. They got, I mean, they got lit up from the three point line on defense, and that's I I think that is probably that's a decent concern too. I mean, like this should not be the tenth ranked defense either, Um, but they they had a really rough West Coast trip where. They ran into a couple teams that that did shoot it extremely well against them, um, three in a row, honestly. But yeah, they they got to figure it out because, like, look, I love the free throw shooting, but but I don't think like the free throw shooting that they're getting from specifically from Embiid, you have to sacrifice that in yeah. in searching for more threes. They got to do something about it though, because you can't be like you said. I think they what are they seven of twenty seven games they outshot their opponents from three, and that was. That has not happened that much recently, like in the last 10 to 12, 14 13 out of 15. Yeah. You know, some of those Charlotte games earlier, that was kind of the platonic ideal of how the Sixers team wants to play. They've gotten away from that. And, it, you know, they have an easier schedule coming up. They need to get back to bombing around those guys.
0: And, you know, look, I think right now is probably a low point in that regard. Like you've got Seth, who is up and down right now. In terms of his play, you've got Shake Milton out of the lineup, and he wasn't making shots. Even before then, Mike Scott still doesn't look entirely like even the uh, our our normal expectations of Mike Scott. So they should probably improve, but they need like they need more than a slight improvement, I think. All right, let's move on. I'm because I'm I'm getting a little sick of like I feel like every game, rightfully so, but I feel like every game we uh, we talk about that. The related question from Dan at full on Board: Do you think it's likely doc turns to Isaiah Joe soon for a little more scoring punch off the bench? Well, he he did last night.
1: He probably did a little too late last night. He probably, you know, cork started the third quarter. I would have, I don't know if I would have started Joe in the third quarter, but whenever you were planning to play cork, Maz in the third quarter, I would have given him his minutes. Part of me wonders if we're putting a little too much pressure on Isaiah Joe, who Sure. Comes in the game I and mean, they, they are crunch the time
0: NBA equivalent of a backup quarterback.
1: Yeah. The backup quarterback is everybody's favorite player until he plays, they become the starting quarterback. Right. And uh, I do wonder if there's a little bit of that with Isaiah Joe, who you know he comes in and mop up duty and seems to be making all of his threes recently, which is great. And we did get to see him play when the team was shorthanded about a month ago at this point. But yeah,
0: I would play him. Corkmaz has been terrible. Oh for his last 10, two straight O for fives. he 30 uh, combined 36 minutes he's played in those two games, and he has two points and four rebounds to show for it. <sighs> yeah and, and, well, he I mean, was
1: terrible, like like if you get a decent cork game in Utah and in Portland, just just say everything else is
0: the same, they
1: might win both of those games. He yeah. was
0: dreadful. And they're just so, like, there's this bench is so like every player on that bench can go through a four game stretch where they look completely unplayable. Whether that's Matisse's offense, Corkma's on both sides of the court. There's just, I mean, Maxi when he's pounding the, the air out of the ball and, and, and Maxie's and, borderline unplayable right uh, now, taking those 17 footers that have no chance. Every player in that row. Uh, I mean, Dwight's look, I mean, he had a good game. Against Utah, that might have been his best game in quite a while. Before then, he was really struggling too. And every player on that bench rotation goes, with the exception of Shake, who's out, goes through spells where they look uh, borderline unplayable. I mean, they need they they, they need uh, look. Do I think Isaiah Joe is an answer right now? No, probably not. But he will take those shots and. His defense, though. He's, not, so, he's like, not worse defensively. No, but he's he's definitely bad defensively. Like, I think he can move his feet more. That's great. I think he has some length. That's great. Um, a slight breeze blows him over, and he makes some really bad decisions. Like, his decision-making there is that of a rookie for sure. For sure. Um, but you're saying, I mean, Cork is terrible, so whatever. Go for it.
2: If
1: Cork is not a very good offensive player, which at times he was last season. I think he had a 64% true shooting percentage a season ago, you know, and that's, that's with the 40% from three point land. He's shooting 32% from three. If that is what he is. And I get a little worried because he's never been a, an elite free throw shooter. And that, that can be a tell on, uh, on what the person can be. I know some of the European guys take a couple of years to, uh, to get acclimated to the three-point line. But like, look, if he's not making threes, he should
2: not play.
0: Yeah. I mean, the free throw is tough because he takes like five a year. So those percentages might not mean all that much. Actually this year he's making 88. Granted, he again, barely takes any, but yeah, you need the 40% three-point shooting Korkmaz to be playable. Uh, And if he's shooting 32%, like he has now in three of his four years in the NBA, he is not playable. And, you know, that that 40% was on the most volume he's ever taken, by far. Like, I think he has as much volume from three-point range last year as he does in his other three seasons combined. So you want to give that one a little more weight than the other years. But right now, he's just... He has not been playable for most of this year. And, I mean, it's not like they have that many great options, which is why we're talking about a rookie second-round pick maybe taking his spot.
1: And he gets most of the IR cork and he was like, look, he was terrible on, on that road trip, but I do want to underscore the point you made that there is no outside of Matisse's defense. There is nobody on that bench right now that is playable. Tyrese Maxey, Like I, I know he can score a couple times, but, but two of eight from the field, killing your spacing, pounding the ball, bad defense, throwing bounce passes at Dwight's feet. That's not, great right now either and uh, like look I, I still think he has a fairly bright future but there, there's nobody coming off the bench right now that is giving you much
0: Yep, Daryl certainly has his work cut out for him alright this one from Senor Talon 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 I feel like I should know that by now how much of shakes reluctance to shoot is related to his role as primary initiator in the second unit or is it simply because his shots haven't been falling That's a good question. I'm not sure if I have a real answer for that. You know, I think before his run last year, we would have said that he was more natural as an off-ball sort of secondary playmaker. And then he showed so much during, um, you know, during the spring of 2020 and in the bubble that it sort of became like give, shake the ball as much as you can, especially in the second unit when you went to all, um, all bench players like Doc. But I think there is still something like his shot specifically, his catch and shoot shot, his three point shot might be a little bit better or a little more consistent if he didn't have to create so much. Like if you paired him with Simmons and you could share some of that, that burden and that responsibility, it might be a little easier for him to make these shots. But I think, I also think he's just in a slump, which he'll get I out do, of.
1: I do too. He needs to take more threes when he comes back too. for sure. he He is another part of that volume which is weird to say because he is now shooting 30% from three, but I still think he's a better shooter than that. Um, yeah. I wonder if part of it is just when he has the ball in his hands, the entire possession, it might come down to the athleticism deficiency. Like if he's attacking a closeout, he can do more things with the ball. He's got to be a little more fine with uh and a little more precise if, if he's running a pick and roll and he's bringing the ball up. But yeah, I, I don't have a great answer for that. I, I do think like his best role is as a secondary ball handler. One one that gets the ball a decent amount. It's not like you have to play him like Lonzo Ball and never run him in a pick and roll or something like that. But yeah, you, you would preferably have a more consistent ball handler out there with him. One that can shoot, unlike Maxi.
0: Yeah. And one who was... I mean, really what they need right now is they need the 2026 version of Tyrese Maxey, not the 2021 version that they currently have.
1: Uh, his skillset- He's going to be a great player in 2026. I hope I it's still in Philadelphia. Good.
0: I hope so. I hope so. This one from Octavio uh, Legs, our good friend Legs Sanity on Twitter, was talking about how different it feels after 26 games between last year and this. I'd like you guys to talk to us about why we should believe that the outcome will also be different because from his perspective, uh, he has bad vibes, even with Joe in MVP form. So why is this year different than, than last year?
1: You can argue it either way, you know, that it's not that much different, but there there are positives if you want to look at it. And I, it's probably not the best time to be talking about the, the positive vibes, just considering they they're on their longest losing streak of the, uh, season. But like, how is it different than last year? and beat is a lot better. Yep. That's the most important thing. And he looks like he's better in a way that could translate to the playoffs more. So so that would be one positive way to look at it. We we are coming off the longest losing streak of the season. But if you get that Simmons and, and you can talk yourself into that was the Simmons we were seeing in July and February before he got hurt a season ago, and then, you know, we had the short bubble stay and then came back this year after getting hurt again at the end of the, uh, the bubble. You, you you can talk yourself into that. I would say um, last season, the off uh, the starting lineup, had, it, it was still pretty good, but it trended way too far towards defense in a way that wasn't going to be sustainable for the playoffs. And it's not only is it better this year, offensively, that starting group has been pretty damn good. Um, You know, they're, Looking at it on cleaning the glass right now in the 87th percentile of all lineups offensively. They got to get better on the defensive end. But for me, I feel a little bit better about that. And uh, and then there's the idea that the team isn't done yet and, and that they have, while not like a an arsenal of, of assets, they have more stuff than teams like Milwaukee and Brooklyn and some of the other teams that they are competing against like look this team has deficiencies um i don't want to say that they are a uh, head and shoulders above where they were last year i think maybe some people were were riding high with them being in first place maybe after that indiana win oh man you know look at how they all the games are pulling out doc rivers what a great coach compared to brett brown that type of thing i think this last road trip was a little bit of a reality check Maybe a big bit of a reality check in that uh in that way, but there's there there are still some things to be positive about,
0: yeah, it is interesting that we talk so much about oh this team makes so much more sense, and then beads taking another step, and oh man, look at how much cleaner the offense looks, then you look at it, you take a step back, and they're the thirteenth ranked offense, and they were the thirteenth ranked offense last year. They are the 10th ranked defense and they were the eighth ranked defense last year. And I'm not talking about like where they were through 28 games, you know, because we all cite the stat of, oh man, the record looks so similar. I'm talking about their end of, even after their struggles, they were the 13th ranked offense and the eighth ranked defense. It is a little bit concerning in that regard. I do think, you know, if you go back and I think the way we summarize this at the time of they made all of those moves when Daryl Force got here. This is a team that is now better positioned to take the steps they need to take. It doesn't mean they've taken the steps yet. And if I'm being completely honest, just looking at it from a net rating and an offensive rating and defensive rating and not from a record standpoint, they're probably a little behind where I expected. Now, it's weird because so many of their losses have been without the big guy on the court. Um, What are they, like 16 and... Five or whatever when Joel Embiid plays, or something absurd seventeen because 17 they've only won one game when he's been out. Eh, it's a weird, it's a weird year. Like, I guess what I would say is, I think I do still think the base around Embiid is better and fits him better, and I think the pieces they have to get are a little bit easier to acquire than figuring out what to do with that Horford and Richardson combo. Like that core, I just don't think was ever going to work at a. Eastern Conference Finals or better level. I think this core with some tweaks could it is is not necessarily with this bench group and I think this bench group is very limiting. And I do think the the starting lineup is better from a skill set and a talent perspective than last year's. I think this bench doesn't fit at all and isn't reliable at all and I think that's dragging us down quite a bit. Quite a it, bit. It would make me
1: feel a little better if they have some home games here they have some games against below average teams although there are some tough ones mixed in there we'll see how they do in the uh, in the back to back in tampa in a few weeks that'll be that'll be a big one it, it would be nice if they hammered a couple of these teams, it would be particularly the next two teams they're playing would that would that would make me feel a little bit better cuz they're not uh they're not playing all that great right now the and I guess the other reason that that you could have some optimism that has nothing really to do with the Sixers, that, that it'll be better than a season ago. And if you're qualifying, like, is it going to be better than losing in the first round, getting swept? I'd be pretty surprised if they don't host the first round series. Oh, sure. Yep. Well, I mean. All right. All right. Well, so, so if your path is easier to making the second round, like, it'll be a little bit better now. That's not the ultimate goal here, but like, how many times in February, March before the pandemic hit, we looked up and we're like, "Man, Indiana, they keep winning. Miami, yeah. they keep winning. Toronto, I mean, they Sixers have no chance of getting them. Boston, all that, all those things. It's the opposite this season. You know, yeah. the Sixers go one three on a road trip, and it's like, well, they extended their lead in the Eastern Conference. <laughs>
0: yeah. Now, the Eastern Conference has gotten a lot more top heavy, and you've got. Boston, who took a pretty significant step back, especially when they lose anybody in their their top group. Toronto took a pretty significant step back. We'll see whether or not they end up trading for some help and become buyers at the deadline. And and the Pacers have taken a step back. And those three taking a step back, yeah, you're right. Like, you've got Milwaukee and Brooklyn at the top, but you should be able to challenge for a top-three seed pretty easily. And if you have a top-three seed and Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid don't get hurt, you should have a very good chance of winning a playoff series. And then you're, you know, one bounce of the ball away from maybe making it farther than Embiid and Simmons ever have. There's, yeah, for sure.
1: That's a fact. For sure. And look, they're the one seed right now. The way they are playing and the way they have played to this point of the season, it's a little hard to tell because there were some non-MB games in there. There was some craziness, but there's craziness all over the league. If they continue to play at this level the rest of the season, they will not be the one seed. Somebody will pass them. Sure. Milwaukee will almost assuredly. Milwaukee's
0: pass uh, they're so weird. Like they lose a lot of close games and then they blow teams the fuck out. And yeah. I'm pretty sure they have the best net rating in, in basketball. Uh, By and large, my belief is that will over time lead to a much better record than they currently have. So the Sixers will have to play really good basketball. If they want that one seed in the East. Yeah.
1: If you do get the one seed in the East though, and Milwaukee looks like Milwaukee and Brooklyn kind of look like the two teams that are, Above average if you if you only have to play one of them and and maybe you you get by the other team in the second round, like look things can be better but i, I would just say like I don't know if it's going to be better than a season ago at this yep. point. It can go a couple of different ways there are reasons for optimism, there are reasons for uh for pessimism and again, it would be nice, like how about you blow out some of these bad teams to make yeah. people feel a little better
0: I, w- I would certainly err on the side of. I think it's going to be better than last year for sure. For sure. Uh, Most of my concern comes in when we get beyond that. All right. So the last one here from Doc Cigar, Doc NJ Cigar. Furkan's, true or false, Furkan's defense is worse than Matisse's offense. I I would, I would, I would say false on that. False. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: think offense is more important, unfortunately. That's the, the crux of that issue.
0: Well, and not only that, but like Matisse might legitimately be like one of the, like, five worst offensive wings in the game right now. Um, maybe oh. ten. Maybe ten. I
1: mean, that's getting actual rotation minutes.
0: Oh yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. He's one of the five worst. He might be the worst.
0: Yeah, we'll see, we'll see what happens when Roberson uh, starts playing with the, uh, with the Nets. But yeah, he's he's in that group. And as bad as Furkan's defense is, he's just normal garden variety <sighs> bad on defense. And there are a lot of those in the league. If, if, if Furkan was making 40% of his threes and running some credible pick and roll action, uh, we would live with his defense a lot easier than you can live with Matisse's offense. Furkan's issue is right now he is a bad offensive player as well. At least Matisse gives you something on one side.
1: If Matisse was as good offensively as he is defensively, if you just transferred over his powers, he'd be an all-star level player probably. Sure. Sure. And he'd be a terrible defender, and we would briefly mention, yeah, he's a terrible defender. But who cares? Because he's putting up all these points. Did you see Jordan Clarkson in that game last night?
0: He played, yeah.
1: That's what it would be. And Matisse swallowed his shot like two times, which is amazing. He did. Considering he made eight of 13 threes and was unbelievable.
0: Yeah, he made eight of 13 threes, and half of the ones he missed were blocked.
1: But the offensive stuff is more impactful. It's a little more consistent. Yeah especially on the perimeter.
0: All right. I think, uh, I think that's probably just about all that I have got anything coming up. You want to plug or anything you want to get off your chest or just ran about or I don't know. Nah, Utah fans already got that's about it. (laughs) Sounds good. We have the rockets coming up here on Wednesday, which will probably be later today when this podcast gets released. And then the bulls two on the road against Toronto before four at the farg to close out the first half of the schedule. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we'll talk to you soon.
1: See you, man.